Two weeks getting ceremonially pure. And he couldn't have known that I was a Jewish man lying by the side of the road. If he'd touched me and I was a Samaritan or a Phoenician, he would have had to go back to Jerusalem for the week. Would have had to repurify himself. Wouldn't have been able to give any money to the poor. Wouldn't have been able to help anyone. Wouldn't have been able to collect his money, his tithes. So I wasn't surprised to see him walk by, well, ride by on his fancy horse on the other side of the road. I think I would have done the same myself. I was a little bit more disappointed with the Levite, but I think he must have known there was a priest ahead of him. <laughs> Levites are the sort of second-ranking people in the temple, and uh, they serve just outside where the priests are, and I guess he could have helped me, but he must have known the priest was ahead of him, and if he had stopped to help me and the priest hadn't helped me, and then they ended up in the same inn at night, it would have looked like he was slapping the priest in the face and saying he knew better than the priest did. It looked like he was just, you know, better than his aristocratic excellency, the priest. I wasn't that surprised that he went by either. I think I probably would have gone by. Beaten up by the side of the road, tattered, bruised, damaged. If only I hadn't fought back, they probably would have left me alone, just taken my money. But I fought, and I just, you know, in that rush of blood where you just get angry, <laughs> I just couldn't stop it. And oh, it's a dark and dangerous road down to Jericho from Jerusalem. I don't know if you know it. It's... So hills on both sides, it feels desert-like, and you're sort of winding down. And just as I came around one of those corners, boom! You know, they jumped on me, grabbed me, got everything, left me naked and battered. By the time they'd finished with me, I could have been anyone. I didn't have any money left, didn't have anything, didn't have any resources at all, just left there in the beating hot sunshine to die in a few hours. And then another person comes by, and in... Any good story in our culture, it's an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Scotsman for you, but in our culture, it's a priest, a Levite, and a, and a layperson, a normal Jew. And so if this was a good story, I'd be expecting a, a normal Jew to come along. It wasn't a very good story. It was embarrassing, to say the least, because along comes one of our hated, despised neighbors, the Samaritan. And although my senior Jewish friends had gone by, given me a wide berth, this hated person stops. I'm told if you were in your culture in your day, or you were North Americans, it would be like a, a Red Indian stopping to help a, a, a settler in uh, 19th century America. And this, this guy gets down beside me, patches me up, bandages me, basically uses everything he's got, his oil, his wine, to, to bandage. And I don't know, this might not make sense to you, but in our culture, oil and wine together is the best medicine we, we've got. So he pours it into my wounds uh, and just lavishes on me and sticks me on his donkey, which means he's going to have to walk the long, long journey down to Jericho, the lowest place in the world, I'm told. And... When he gets there, he walks into one of our inns. And this is life-threatening for him. 
I mean, this should be curtains. You, know, you, you walk into a Jewish inn as a Samaritan with a half-dead, Samarit- with, 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 with a half-dead Jew on your donkey. <laughs> I mean, people don't normally stop to ask questions. They assume you've, you've killed him. <laughs> So it's a wonder that this man made it out alive, or, or did he? I don't know. I don't know if someone took off with him, because when I came round properly in the inn, the innkeeper stops me and says, look, this, this guy took you in. I said, well, I know. I was on his donkey. I passed out while I was on the donkey completely. And he's like, well, he brought you in, and he, he paid for your lodgings. And he said that if, if you outstayed your welcome, he'd come back and pay any excess bills, and I was like, oh my goodness me, that is an incredible relief because actually if I'm in the inn and I can't afford to pay for it, I get chucked into debtor's prison, (laughs) and that will probably kill me off anyway. So he's literally thought for everything, cared for everything, and he's a Samaritan. It's like the story I can't tell anyone else, so I'm glad I can tell you. Like, I don't need to tell, tell my friends back home. What an utter mess. Why did it have to be him who stopped to save me? But I'll tell you what, if I see him again, I'd love to be able to repay him. But how can you repay someone saving your life when you can't do anything to save yourself? The end. <laughs> Oh dear. It's, stories are amazing, aren't they? Are you listening to that? Some of you look like you're still awake halfway through, which is, is encouraging. But stories are amazing. Jesus tells the best stories. They're, they're subversive and radical, and there's twists to them that we don't always understand because we're, we're from a different culture. Um, you know, it's the Englishman, the Irishman, the Scotsman, the, the, the priest, the Levite, and the lay Jewish person. And the idea that the priest couldn't help this guy because he was trying to obey the law. It wasn't just that he was hard-hearted. He was, they would have known that he was trying to work out within the confines of the law what he should do about this person. And that's, that's the situation that Jesus sets up. There's, a, there's this guy who comes to him, a teacher of the law, and he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, it sounds like a good question, doesn't it? If someone walks into a meeting place in the week and says, Dear Richard, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Then I'm like, yes, that's why we have the meeting place. You know, this, is, this is a great situation. Come in and ask me, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? That keeps me in vickering for another little while. Um, but with Jesus, he comes to him. Jesus is seated down, just like that, and he comes and stands like a student would do. In their culture, teacher sits down, student stands here paying attention, you know, sort of shoulders back, head up, listening. And the teacher sits down because... They're worthy of respect. They're probably older, wiser, and you know, all the obvious stuff <laughs> there. So he comes to him like he's a humble supplicant. But the question is, is barbed and loaded. <laughs> the question probably should have been, how do I obey the law? How do I keep the whole law? But he wants to check whether Jesus is actually a, a sort of a liberal subversive who's not encouraging people to obey the law. <laughs> So he uses this phrase that Jesus has been using all the time, eternal life. How do I, good teacher, how do I inherit eternal life? And, and the idea is that Jesus is going to say something like, oh, you don't need to keep the whole law, um, just follow me or something like that. 
And, and instead of answering the question, which Jesus only, he only answers three questions in the whole of the New Testament, instead of answering the question, he, he poses a different question. Um, and, and he poses it partly by firstly saying, well, what, what does the law say? And he, and he repeats back the Shema, which every Jew had on their, on their door, to love the Lord your God and to love uh, your neighbor as yourself. And, uh, and loving the Lord your God, it's very interesting. There, there are four things there. If you, if you know your Old Testament well, you'll know there are only three things there. Does anyone, anyone spot that? Anyone going, oh, that's not what it said in Deuteronomy when that was read through? You can check it out for yourself. But the, the added word in, in both Mark and uh, Luke's gospel is mind. Um, and there's, there's a reason for that. I'll, I'll do a little sidebar on that for uh, Valerie in the front row because she looks interested. Um, the, the reason it adds in mind is because words change their meaning over time. So back in Moses' day when it said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart in those days meant with your, with your thinking, with your intellect. And the words changed over time. So by the time Jesus was talking into a Greco-Roman culture, he wanted people to know that it was it's also with your brain <laughs> that you're supposed to love God. You're not supposed to check your brains at the door. You're supposed to use your brain to love God. And heart used to convey that meaning, but by the first century, it didn't convey that meaning, so he changes the scripture to make it say what it originally said because the words had changed. Interesting, isn't it? A little sidebar, when we write brothers and sisters in the New Testament now, they're doing exactly the same thing. We're saying that it was written to everyone, not just to mankind, but to humankind. Words change their meaning over time. So a little sidebar. Anyway, here's this guy, and he's trying to trick Jesus. What should I do to inherit eternal life? Well, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, limit that for me. Define your terms. Sort of a magistrate sort of question there. <laughs> what do you mean by neighbor exactly? You know, does that mean I've got to be nice to Simon? <laughs> well, Simon's quite easy to be nice to, isn't he? If you get to know Simon, he'll take you out for a meal and uh, ply you with wine. Um, but um, he, who, who isn't covered by neighbor? And Jesus, again, doesn't answer that directly, but he, he sort of sets up this story that we've just heard about what neighboring is like. And he makes the incredible point that keeping the letter of the law doesn't make you into a good neighbor. It enables you to walk by on the other side. Arguably, the priest did the right thing, culturally. And that's the extraordinary limiting factor. Arguably, he did the right thing. Arguably, the Levite did the right thing. But neither of them were a good neighbor when the person needed it. So Jesus is saying, you want to love a neighbor as yourself? Think about what sort of neighbor you might need in time of trouble and try and do likewise. Now, this is... This is one of those classic sermons where you, you end up with a problem, don't you? Because um, as with most sermons, there are two types of hearers for a sermon, aren't there? There's the people who sort of need a slight kick up the backside, like, like me. Um, you know, actually, you're supposed to love more people than you do. And there are other people who pour themselves out like Jenny Eastwood. Um, and she hears, love your neighbor. And it's like, ah, oh, there's another 3,000 people that I've got to care for before breakfast. Um, and... Um, and that's why these, these are difficult things, aren't they, to, to work out. What am I supposed to take from this? I was really helped this morning by uh, uh, someone I know who's become a, one of the clergy at St. Martin's in the Field. And as she was uh, writing how complex it is living in 
the very centre of London, um, but not because she keeps getting woken up by drunk revellers, although that sounds like it's probably taxing her a little bit, <laughs> people who decide that singing national anthems at three in the morning every night is, is a great idea. Um, but as she looks out the window, despite being in a church with a phenomenal uh, homeless project, which uh, Simon Weatheridale was responsible for raising large chunks of money for uh, down the years, um, despite being in the church like that, there are still all these rough sleepers like literally everywhere. And of course we have similar here in Chiswick, not quite as extreme, but, but very much in, uh, you're aware of all the time, aren't you? And it, it's very hard <laughs> to think in practice, you know, how, how, do, I, how do I cope <laughs> with life? There's always someone in need, isn't there? There's always someone extra at work that you could put another hour in for or another mile that you could walk or another coat that you could give away. <laughs> how, how do we get it right? And the thing that I love about Jesus' story is he doesn't really prescribe a new answer. <laughs> Having pointed out that the old law is limited, he's going for the jugular on the heart issue. And it's a bit of a conscience thing. If you give you a framework for it, I had a friend who actually spoke at um, Nicola at my wedding. Um, it was an interesting moment. Uh, Nicola's parents are here today. Uh, in that he... Uh, he managed to ruin his suit the day of the wedding. So he turned up in what looked like a clown suit, as far as I could see, um, to do the wedding. Uh, but he had taken in a number of homeless people into his house down the years uh, with, with the children that he had. Uh, and he said, he said, I remember very movingly, he said that retrospectively he felt like he should have taken in one. Uh, he took in six. And there'd, there'd been a sort of an overstretch out of some sort of duty obligation thing and not, not wisdom. So it, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? This, this space of how do you self-care, love your neighbor as yourself, and yet still care in a way that you would like to be cared for as well. I mean, these are, these are the great trials of our, our day, aren't they? And I think what Jesus is saying is come to God honestly with your heart, with your mind, your strength, uh, and, and your will. And love, with the love that first comes from God. The order of those two commands in the Old Testament is the other way around. The, the loving your neighbor comes canonically first, and loving God comes in Deuteronomy. So normally you would quote the scripture in the right order, and it's turned around. And there's something about if you love God with all your heart, then you might just have the resources to love your neighbor as yourself. But the Samaritan didn't even know God, really, in the way that you know, the Jews knew God and did the right thing anyway. So here we are, we're left with a, with a conundrum, a problem, a, a thing. A, how am I going to live today? Who am I going to invest in? One of the, one of the things that, that hits me straight away is, oh, I wonder, wonder who I most want to talk to today. Is it the person that I see as being an important person? Or is it the person who's most in need of a, a friendly chat? <laughs> and also, where do I see myself in the story? Am I inclined to want to be the victim on the road, just waiting for someone to come along and look after me? <laughs> the victim isn't the hero of the story. Uh, the, the hero of the story is the person who, who helps, isn't he? 
And it's quite easy to, to long to play the victim, especially when things aren't going like we want in our lives, maybe health or, or other things going on in our life where we're just like, oh, I just want someone to look after me. You know, I, I feel like that quite often, you know. I just, oh, just look after me for a change. <laughs> um, but what, what God's provoking in us, I guess, is not to do what we can't do, but to give what we can from a place of being filled with God. The guy who was the Samaritan gave all that he could to this person and thought ahead and sorted out the ongoing situations. It's an amazing, an amazing account. And I guess it's one of those things where you go, wow, that was good. We had a lovely couple over for tea the other day, and they were talking about the good deeds that they'd done for the day. And I was just like, oh, that's a phrase I haven't heard for a while. And that's, that's not a bad place to go from the parable of the Good Samaritan, is it? I wonder what your good deed for the day might be. That little thing that takes you out of your way and makes a difference to someone else. There was a lovely film um, done called Pay It Forward, about, uh, which is sort of a movement of uh, beginning with children who decided to do um, un, unpaid for jobs for other people without expecting any payment. And what happened is that people who received love then gave love on elsewhere. Um, no. But it, to finish, it would be remiss to miss the whole point of this big parable. You've got a teacher of the law pretending to be a student of Jesus, trying to trick him at the beginning. I'm really trying to catch him out. And he's like, what do I do to inherit eternal life? There is no way in this situation that the guy doesn't think he's getting eternal life. You know? He already feels like he's made the grade. He's entitled. He's, he's, he's studied the scripture. He's, he's a good churchgoer, if you like. And Jesus blows his worldview out of the water and says, look, unless you can keep the law in this way, you can't get eternal life. So is Jesus saying, if you're just a really good Samaritan, then you're fine with God? I think the point isn't that. The point is that he sets the bar, as someone wrote, 10 foot high, and then says, jump over this bar. So what's Jesus doing? Is he closing a fence around all of us? Like, here's eternal life. If you can jump over this fence, you can come in. If you can just be a good Samaritan every day of your life. <laughs> Never leave anyone in trouble around you, including all the desperate poor in the developing world. <laughs> then, you, then you get eternal life. Is that, is that what he's saying? Well, sort of. He's saying that the bar is way up here. And that's why you need someone who can break down a door through the wall for you. And if you follow me, then I'll give you eternal life. Really, in the story, I suppose, Jesus is identifying himself with the Good Samaritan. I am the Good Samaritan. One of the most radical things you could say. I am the Afghani refugee. And if you follow me, humbly, through the narrow door, you can have eternal life. If you think you're all right on your own, there's a big wall between you and God. You'll never get through. So actually, at the end of the day, in the story, maybe we are the bruised, battered, 
near-dead person. We can't rescue ourselves. Maybe we are that person who needs a door through a wall. Because to get to eternal life is not something we can manage on our own merit. We need a rescuer. We need a saviour. And if I can ask you just one question to close, and those of you who've been here regularly will have heard it many times. Do you know that you've got a saviour? Do you know that you've put your trust in someone who can get you through that wall? Do you know that on your own you don't merit eternal life? You need someone to help you. Do you know that if you trust in him the way, the truth, and the life, you get eternal life? Do you know that in and of yourself you are poor and wretched and helpless and weak? But with him, all things are possible. Shall we pray together? Almighty God, Father to the fatherless, friend of the poor, Redeemer of the oppressed, help of the helpless. Would you give us grace to come to you today as people who believe ourselves not already worthy of you, but in need of you, in need of rescuing. Help us to be those who help others, who love others, who care for others. But let us do that from a place of gratitude that we ourselves have been rescued already and that we're here and ready to pay it forward. Fill us just in this moment, Lord, with an incredible gratitude for your love and your grace. And help us this week each to make an incredible difference in someone else's life day by day as we care for those most in need around us. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen.